All right, what's up? It's really good to be here. So, so glad to be at home. At home at uh, Sam Houston, Chi Alpha. We love you guys. We're so thankful for all that the Lord has done here. We were talking, Myra, my wife, and I, before the service, and she was saying that when she came to freshman orientation uh, many years ago, that she was sitting in this room and they were doing the orientation activities, and she won a raffle. She won a free semester worth of books. I mean, you know, that's a good, that's a good win. And she said, but little did I know that I would also win eternity later that year because Jesus changed my life. And uh, that's our story. God changed us, uh, and, and we met at the Kyalva house and setting right where you're setting, and, and God changed our lives, and we're just like you, uh, maybe a little older, but uh, <laughs> just a little bit. And, um, but the uh, Lord's been good to us, and we're thankful for all that he's done. Uh, in our lives and, and for our family that we have here at Sam Houston. So introduce our family to you. There's our kids, uh, Naomi, she's 13, and uh, John Mark and Caleb. So these are wonderful, wonderful children. All of them were born in Chile. So we got married. Uh, we're on staff with Kyle for, for a few years, and then we went down to Chile in South America, that long uh, skinny country in South America, and then our kids were all born there, actually. They were all born in Chile. But um, just a real, John Mark, the one in the middle, you can see him, he's 10 years old. This uh, picture's a little dated now, but he's 10 years old, and I just want to encourage you guys, because I know that you've been praying uh, for the Weezer's baby that's coming on the way, and uh, praying for a miracle. Amen? Amen. And uh, my son, John Mark, the one you see, uh, a little over 10 years ago was going through the same thing and we were praying for him and uh, God miraculously healed him and uh, touched him. And so none of us know what the outcome is in life, but we, we know that we trust in that God, that miracle working God. And I just want to encourage you with that. And you can see with your own eyes, a, a living example that God is the God of the impossible and whatever we're walking through, you can trust him. Amen. I mean, so as Jason said, we've been in Chile for about 15 years now, and uh, we went down there to start Chi Alpha. That's what we did, and, and for the last 15 years, I've seen God change lives uh, on campuses throughout the country, and, uh, you know, he, he's been so faithful. We were able to plant a church, and the very guy that um, was reached on campus, my Timothy, my right-hand guy, Martin, today is the pastor of that church. And, that, and it's a growing church, and they're doing better even though we're not there. That's a good thing. And uh, we're not there right now. We're on just home for a year. And, but they're doing a great job. And so God's been faithful, and we were able to lead campus ministry throughout uh, all of Latin America, over 40 countries. And the Red Universitaria, the, the university network of Latin America, it's Chi Alpha uh, down south. And so... What, we, what I want you to understand is that there are, there are over 75 million university students in Latin America on, spread across 4,000 different campuses, and we are barely, I don't even think we're on more than 100 as Chi Alpha, 100 campuses. So there's a need for workers, and there's a place for you if you'd be interested in going and doing what my wife and I did many years ago. Like I said, we're just, we're just like you. You could do this. You could do what we've done. Uh, because it's not us, it's the Lord. And um, 
And so if you're interested and want to talk about that, we'd love to talk to you. And as Jason also said, we also have the privilege, and I'll go ahead and let's go to the next slide. We had the privilege of overseeing missionaries today now in five different countries, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Paraguay, and Uruguay, 300 million people, millions and millions of people everywhere from all the way down to the Patagonia, all the way to the Amazon River Basin who need Jesus. Uh, in the Amazon River Basin today, we have around 300 different unreached people groups that are scattered throughout the jungle that not one time in the history of Christianity have ever had the flag of Christ planted among them. I mean, that's a problem. And so what we're believing is the Lord to raise up workers to go to the harvest field. And once again, if you'd like to talk to us afterwards, we'll be here. We'd love to, to counsel you, talk with you about missions. Even if it's not to our area, that's okay. We'll talk to you about missions or whatever. We're, we just are here to serve and help out. But uh, would you pray for the Southern Cone? This is what this area represents. It's uh, a diverse area, 300 million people, and they need Jesus. And we're just believing God to raise up more teams. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 6 through 16. We're going to read a story that we just Many of you may have read last week as you were maybe, like with our family, we were walking through the passion narrative uh, last week being uh, uh, Semana Santa, Passion Week, and we were reading each day the different accounts of the last week of Jesus' life, and this is the account that happened on the Wednesday before his crucifixion, two days before Jesus went to the cross. This is what we're going to, this is the story that we're going to read. Matthew 26 Verses 6 through 16. This is what it says. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leopard, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured out on his head as she was, he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. The perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured the, this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. We'll go to verse 14. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Let's pray. Father, we want to be devoted followers of the way. We want to follow you, Jesus, with all our hearts. We want to follow you, Lord, and let our actions uh, Lord, coincide with the, the value we place on you, Lord. So help us tonight look in, in, inside ourselves and see what our devotion to you is like, Jesus. We want to love you and honor you as you deserve to be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you have ever been to California? Okay. Also, I, I figured I would get a few boos, actually, if I said that. I don't know. We are in Texas, right? I'm just kidding. So I've been to California three times. Uh, once was to San Francisco, went with my wife, and we froze to death. It was so cold. 
I've been to LA a few times. It's a terrible city. Don't ever go there. Uh, but we just actually got back. We decided to take a few days off. We have been traveling so much as a, as a family, visiting different churches this year, trying to fundraise to go back to Chile. And uh, we decided our kids needed a little break. We wanted to take them and do something fun. So we went out, met my brother-in-law and his family. We went to San Diego, California. Beautiful weather, amazing city, incredible. Now, here's the one thing about California. Well, one of the things about California that I, I don't care about. It's stinking expensive. <laughs> and so you're going to pay for the clean air, the polluted air. You're going to pay for parking. You're going to pay for everything. And everything's going to be about two to three times as much, the food. And so if you're a budgeter, like my wife and I are budgeters, uh, we, we sat down and as we look at the menu, we would just casually look at each other and uh, look down at the prices. And so at first it's kind of hard to swallow, you know, okay, I'm gonna pay all this money for a plate of food that I pay half that much or a portion of that back in Texas. But then here's the thing, despite all that cost and the high value of, 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 of the food out there, one thing we kept having to remind ourselves is that we're not paying for food, we're paying for quality time with our kids, right? And so what we're doing is we're, we're investing. This is time with them. This is a vacation to be with them. You see, here's what I'm saying. When you understand the value of what you're really paying for, it changes everything, doesn't it? When you understand the true value of what you're paying for, it kind of makes the cost not irrelevant, but it's not as bad. When you understand the value of what you have before you, and that it's worth an investment, it's worth actions that would follow, it changes everything. And this is something similar we see in the story. If you read this story, it's, as I said, the Passion Week. It's, it's the week before Jesus was, cru or the week of Jesus' crucifixion. It's two days before the crucifixion. And, and you know, if you, if you read the story, you can, you can kind of sense there's tension, this mix of tension and excitement in the air. There's excitement because everybody had seen what Jesus had done and the miracles and the healings that he had done. And they were excited that not just because of that, but they thought he was going to come in and liberate them, a political liberation from Rome. And they were excited about all this. And there was also this tension because the Jewish leaders in the city didn't like that. And so they were, they were messing with their system and the game. And so there was this tension and excitement. And nobody understood that tension and that excitement like Jesus as he sat there two days before he would be nailed to the cross and die for the sins of the world, he sat there in the midst of this story. Have you ever been waiting for a, a difficult procedure and the whole week before you're waiting on it or maybe a difficult meeting? Just try to think of that and amplify it by infinity. <laughs> and this is maybe something of what Jesus was feeling, was feeling that night. See, Jesus was dining with friends. It says he was dining at Simon the leper, who they, since they are so original in, in Bible names, we can understand that he probably was a leper, right? And uh, Jesus had most likely healed him. And so he was dining at Simon's house. And this was a banquet of honor. It says Jesus was reclining at the table. And what you need to understand is that Jesus wasn't slouching. He wasn't being rude and lazy. At a normal meal, you would sit on the floor. They didn't have chairs, and you would sit at the table. But in an, in an honorable meal, they would have cushions and couches, and you would recline and lean back in comfort. And so we know just from that very point that this is something that Simon wanted to honor Jesus. He wanted to honor for him for what he had done. And then all of a sudden, we have this unexpected and extravagant act. 
This woman enters in with an alabaster jar full of expensive perfume. And she begins to anoint the head of Jesus. And uh, we know from the book of Mark, this was a thing called spikenard. That's a pretty cool name, right? Uh, it's an oiled perfume that came from a root that is imported all the way from India. I mean, this is, this is important stuff, right? This is not your grandpa's, uh, you know, Old Spice. This is not that stuff that you guys think is cologne called Axe. You know, this is, this is, this is real expensive stuff, right? This is, and, and this woman takes this and anoints the head of Jesus. Now, it was customary to anoint the head of important guests. That kind of sounds weird, right? If I showed up to your house and you said, here, let me put some olive oil in your beer, I would beard not my beard, my beard, you know, it might be a little weird, but this was so common in those days and in that culture, and so they, anoint, they would anoint the head, but this woman took it beyond that and did this extravagant act of worship to Jesus. But then on the other hand, we had the grumbling disciples, and they saw what she did, and in the light of that, they said, such a waste. We could have sold it, and we could have given it to the poor. You see, the Gospel of John actually tells us that it was Judas who was the first one to say this. It was Judas, because this is mentioned in all four Gospels, this story, and, and, the, and each one kind of sheds different light on it. It was Judas who said, hey, guys, we could have sold this. We could have given the money to the poor. And how many of you know that kind of spread? How many of you know that a, a critical spirit tends to be contagious, right? And so it, it, it spread to the other ones, and they began to... Uh, you know, Judas poisoned the water, and the disciples lapped it up. They drank it right up. And, uh, but in the midst of that, Jesus honors the woman, doesn't he? He honors her, and he says, she has done a beautiful thing. She has prepared me for my burial. Once again, it was common in those days for a king when he was being anointed. If you remember the story of King David in the Old Testament, he was anointed with a horn of oil, and, and he was anointed to be king. Priests were anointed but they were anointed for a kingship. They were anointed for a praise, uh, for a priesthood. But what we need to understand this evening is that Jesus was not anointed because of the merit of his deity or the grandeur of his glory. Jesus was anointed that night because of his willingness to go to the cross and give his life for the ransom of many. He was being anointed not just as king, but a king that was willing to lay down his life like no other king in the world before him. A king, that, a noble king that was willing to lay down his life. And this woman, without even knowing it, was prophesying about his death to come. You see, this oil that she used was the oil that they would oftentimes use to anoint bodies after, they, after someone had passed away. And uh, it would be, prepare them for their burial. And in the midst of that, we have another, the, 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 the scene shifts and we see Judas. We see a sad contrast from this woman pouring her devotion on Jesus and then Judas who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What does all this mean? Why did I just recap that story? What does all this mean tonight? And where do I want to go with this tonight? Usually when I preach, I like to have a, a big idea, right? And I like to have a central idea and say, hey guys, if you forget everything else I say tonight, which you probably will, remember this one, right? And I, and I normally have that, but tonight I do not have a big idea. What I have is a big question. And I want you, if you're writing things down, write this down. If you don't have anything to write with, grab a pen and write it on your arm. I want you to write this down and remember this question because this is the big question. This is the big thing I want you to walk out of here tonight with. It's this. What is Jesus worth to you? 
What is Jesus worth to you? You see, your answer or our answer to that question will determine everything about your present and future walk with Jesus. Your reaction to Jesus reveals what he is worth to you. It's a true statement that, uh, you know, our actions speak louder than words. And it's true that our reaction to Jesus and what he's doing in your life and what he's doing in this world is revelatory of, of how much you value him. And what we see here is three different levels of devotion. We see three levels of devotion from different people. And each, these are by no means exhaustive. I'm not telling you that these are the only three ways you could react to Jesus, okay? But that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that in this text, what we're going to talk about tonight, there's three levels of devotion. And behind these three levels of devotion are three contrasting evaluations of Jesus' worth. Three different acts of devotion, and each one of them represents the value that each one of those people had in regards to Jesus. How many know your devotion reveals how much you value Jesus? So what is Jesus worth to you? What is Jesus worth to you? The first thing we see is this. We see lavish devotion. Lavish devotion. See, this woman came in, and she anointed Jesus and we see a woman that had the right motive and the right focus. She was in tune with God's plan, what God wanted to do. She, as we like to say, she got it. She understood it. She was in tune with God's plan. She knew that Jesus was going to, he was a great king, that he had done wonderful things, and that he was worthy of praise and worthy of devotion. And she went, she had assessed the worth of Jesus, and she found him to be priceless. And her lavish devotion was reflective of Jesus' supreme value in her eyes. Her lavish devotion was reflective of Jesus' supreme value in her eyes. There was no question of his worth. For everyone around there, you could have questioned the disciples, you could have questioned Judas, you might even question Simon the leopard, but you could not question that in that woman's eyes as she poured out her devotion to the Lord that she held Jesus and supreme value. You see, remember, like I said, this is not your grandpa's old spice. This was expensive oil. This oil that she had was oftentimes an oil that was left sometimes as a family inheritance. It was so valuable that they would seal it up and it would be passed down until it was used. But this woman takes that jar, that family inheritance, that costly possession, and she breaks it. She breaks it and she takes the oil and she pours it over Jesus' head. You see, she valued Jesus so much. She valued Jesus more than a family inheritance. She valued Jesus more than a costly possession. She even valued Jesus more than her own personal dignity. Because it says in another account of this story that she wept and the tears covered his feet and she anointed his feet with her tears. And took her hair, which to that culture was the glory of a woman, took her hair and cleaned the feet of Jesus. I think the only thing that matches it, the only thing that surpasses this story of an act of humility and service is when the king of glory, Jesus, washed the feet of the disciples. What a beautiful act of devotion we see. This reminds me of William Borden. You ever heard the story of William Borden? You've heard of Borden Milk, right? Okay, William Borden was the heir to the Borden fortune way back a hundred and something odd years ago. And he gave up his fortune to go to the mission field. Yeah. 
If you don't know the story, just look it up, get a book, read it on Google. Read about William Borden, incredible man of God, and he left. He had a fortune to inherit, and he left it to go to the mission field. And on arriving to Egypt in two weeks, he passed away from an illness. But in the back of his Bible, they found three phrases. No reserve, no returns, and no regrets. You see, William Borden was willing to give up that inheritance because he saw the extreme value of Jesus. Some of you might need to assess, some of us need to assess how much we value Jesus tonight. You see, some of us need to maybe break the alabaster jars in our life. We need to break the alabaster jar of the family inheritance. I don't mean give up your inheritance, but I, I, I do mean this. There is, a, there is a pressure to perform, isn't there? There is expectations. One of, my wife says one of the hardest things about saying yes to Jesus and being a missionary is that her family immigrated from Mexico. And they worked hard and they worked lots of jobs and they sacrificed so that she could have what she needed and she could have a better life. And the hardest conversation she ever had to have was, uh, was not, Papa, me voy a casar con un gringo. No, that wasn't it. <laughs> that was the best conversation she ever had. The hardest thing she ever had to tell her parents was, I'm going to the mission field because she thought their hearts would be broken. But Jesus is faithful. Some of you need to break that alabaster jar of family inheritance or pressure of expectations. Some of us need to break the alabaster jar of costly possession, the pressure to obtain and show that we're successful and that we've done something and that we can buy the things and acquire and make a beautiful post about what we have. And some of us need to cru crucify that. We need to break the alabaster jar. Some of us need to break the alabaster jar of our personal dignity. The pressure of we have to make our own way in life and we have to be successful. Some of you have just sent out letters or you're raising money right now. Maybe you're calling and trying to raise money for a mission trip. How many of you are raising money for a mission trip right now? That's a lot of you, yeah. And maybe for some of you, your parents said, that's great. We're going to help you out. Here's $10. Or maybe some of them said, now hold on. Uh, we don't beg for money. <laughs> Anybody hear that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> some, of you said, some of you said, no, 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 no. No andamos pidiendo limosnas. Right? We, we, we don't beg for money. We don't beg for that. No, no, no. Some of you, I remember when I told my family that I was going uh, to be a missionary, was a certain member of my family said, why are you throwing away your university? Why did you study? And so I think sometimes we have to be like this woman and we have to take that beautiful, costly possession, that family inheritance, that costly perfume, and we have to be willing to break it because we see that the value, the extreme value. Did you know that oil, that perfume was worth one year's salary? I mean, think about that for a second. How much, I know all of you are hoping you're going to leave Sam Houston and make six figures. But I can tell you that probably will not happen. <laughs> At least for a while. <laughs> and uh, maybe with a combined income, you might get. But here's what I'm saying is, 
Think about one year's salary is what this perfume cost. And that woman took it and broke it and poured it out because she saw that Jesus was of supreme value and that he was worthy of whatever obedience. It's not sacrifice, it's obedience that we could give. What truly is supreme value in your life? What is Jesus worth to you? If it is Jesus, if Jesus is of supreme value in our lives, we'll be able to break these things like the woman broke the alabaster jar. Let Jesus be the supreme joy, the supreme love, the supreme worth in your life to whom you pour out your devotion tonight. Amen? So we see this lavish devotion, but on the other hand, we see a misguided devotion. That's the second thing we see tonight is a misguided devotion. Look in verses 8 and 9. It says, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why the waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and money given to the poor. You see, the disciples, I don't want to throw them under their bus. I do believe that their motive they, it was okay. They wanted to change the world. They wanted to see things happen, but it wasn't in the way that Jesus saw it. They had an okay motive. They just had the wrong focus. They had maybe a misguided devotion. They were focusing on the wrong thing. How many of you know oftentimes we make things the point that were never meant to be the point and we end up missing the point? Yeah. <laughs> and we, we, we get circled in on certain things. As my dad used to say, son, you can't see the forest because all the trees. And we just start focusing in and we, and we lose sight of Jesus. We lose sight of his worth and, and then our lives are to be poured out to him in devotion. Sometimes we focus on the wrong thing, making something the point that was never meant to be the point. Yeah. You know, it's like maybe you went to the chili cook-off and you said, how dare they put a raccoon in chili? <laughs> Where you at, Evadel? There you are. <laughs> and you walked away from Jesus because they served you raccoon chili. Repent. <laughs> you see, there's sometimes we get, see, we're laughing about this, but sometimes we get upset about stupid things like that. Sometimes we get upset, we miss our sight, we miss our focus, it needs to be on Jesus, and we start looking at somebody worshiping next to us, and we look at the way they're dressed, and or we look at the way they're worshiping, and we start making comments in our mind, and we make things a point that aren't the point. We look at someone else's worship and we say, that's not what I would do. So automatically, it's not right. We need to come back and focus on Jesus so we don't miss the point. How do we miss the point? By focusing on what we disagree more than what we disagree on. More than what we agree on, excuse me. See, the disciples ignored the beautiful acts of act of worship that, because they couldn't get over a point of disagreement. They would have taken the perfume and the oil. They would have taken it and sold it and given the money away. But this woman said, all the oil in this alabaster jar is not even worth my king who sits before me. And she poured it out. And so they looked at that and they disagreed. So they had this kind of, kind of issue, this, this, this point of disagreement. And sometimes we need, to learn, we need to learn the difference between primary, secondary, and tertiary issues, don't we? especially when it comes to belief and practice. Sometimes we make primary things almost secondary and tertiary. 
In other words, like levels of importance. And we make those things that are secondary and tertiary as though they are primary. You know, primary is the Trinity. <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One essence, one divine Godhead in three persons. Fathers, that, that's primary. Jesus in the flesh to save mankind and die in a sacrificial death on the cross. That's primary. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. The exclusivity of Christ. That's primary. Whether you listen to hymns or Maverick City, <laughs> that's not. <laughs> your style of worship, your expression of worship, these are not primary things. And so sometimes we look at other people, especially when uh, they come from a different background, and we want to make an issue. We make things a point that's never been the point. It's like we take that, it looks like the hydro flask of my daughter. Probably some of you got a bunch of them. It's got, I, I can't even, you can't even tell the, you can't even picture the individual stickers, right? It's just sticker after sticker, sticker on top of sticker. And, uh, Sometimes we do that in our lives, and Jesus is just another sticker in the midst of there. And we got all these stickers, and sometimes we feel like if we can just put, uh, you know, a Jesus sticker on my Republican hydro flask, I'll be okay. Or if I could just stick a Jesus sticker on my feminist Christian hydro, or if I could just stick a Jesus sticker on my social, you know what I'm saying? We feel like if we can just slap a Jesus sticker on it, I am fill-in-the-blank Christian. Look, if we lose sight of that, if we lose sight of, I am a Christian, I am a child of God, I've been redeemed, I've been saved by his blood on the cross, and he rose from the grave to give me a new life and a promise for heaven. If we lose sight of that because we want to get involved in other things, well, I think we should sell this and give it to the poor. Well, I think we should do this. Well, I think we should hit you over the head with a hammer. <laughs> and we begin to lose sight of Jesus. That's why the author of Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. We need to value Jesus, not have misguided devotion towards Jesus, not get, a, oh, I don't like what they talked about last week. <laughs> and I don't really think my small group leader really prepared that good for, <laughs> of course they didn't. <laughs> You didn't either. <laughs> Did you pray for him? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm feeling comfortable. <laughs> and so we lose sight of Jesus. We have this misguided devotion. And here's this beautiful woman who, who, in this case, we didn't even see her name, but she just pours out devotion to Jesus. Because she valued him so much. And here we are fighting over who's going to sell this and do that. And Jesus, the disciples are there. The disciples wanted to solve poverty without changing the human heart. We cannot offer the good news without the cross. This is the epitome of misguided devotion. Okay. You ready for the next one? You still love me? Yeah. I will love you. And I just, thank you, Jesus. We see lavish devotion. We see misguided devotion. But we also see superficial devotion. Yeah. 
superficial devotion. Uh, verse 14 and 15 says this, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. How much is Jesus worth to you? We see clearly how much Jesus was worth to Judas. 30 silver coins. You know, it's interesting. 30 silver coins was the price of a slave in those times. And Judas sold Jesus for the price of a slave. He had the wrong motive. He had a skewed focus, but he looked great on the outside. He, 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 he had outward devotion. You know what? Make no mistake, Judas was calculated. He knew money. He was the treasurer. You don't put, you don't put uh, the guy that's a, shoe, a few crayons short of a box, you don't put him in charge of the money, right? You put the sharp guy you put, or, or woman, you put the person who knows what they're doing in charge of the money, and they're going to take care of it. But Judas, so he, he had it all together. He knew how to look good on the outside, but on the inside he was scheming. You see, the Gospel of John tells us in John 12, 6, that Judas, when Judas said, hey, that money, when he started stirring the pot, when he, dumped, when he poisoned the water hole, <laughs> and he said, hey, that money, psst, hey, guys, that money, we, we could have sold that. We could have got lots of money. We could have given it to the poor. That's how great of a person I am. And all the other disciples started saying, hey, yeah, he, he's the smart one. He knows what he's talking about. And they started, <laughs> we think we should have sold this perfume and given it to the poor. But here's what John 12, 6 said. Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as treasurer, he used to help himself to the money. You see, here's the thing. I, I don't think any of you are a Judas, okay? So just send in your hugs your way, okay? I love you. But here's what I am saying. Judas would have passed the religious test. Judas would have passed the Sunday school test. Judas had everything together and probably had, honestly, more nat natural aptitude than the rest. But his heart was far from the Lord. He had a superficial appearance. For three years, he had walked with Jesus. He had walked with the disciples. And no one was the wiser to what was going on in his heart. And I know some of you have fought for people, and you've wrestled in prayer, and people in your small group, and all of a sudden, you've seen them after two, three years, maybe walk away. And the thing is, sometimes there is a superficial devotion that hasn't broken into the heart. Sometimes there's a superficial devotion that hasn't broken in and changed the heart. How many know this? I love what Dallas Willard says. He says that a thief is not just one who steals, but it is one who would steal given the right conditions. Right? I remember during COVID and Chile, we were locked up. We had like a year and a half of lockdown, okay? So we had to come up with all kinds of fun stuff to do. We could only get out twice a week. And so one day, Myra... Uh, set up a camera without my youngest seeing it. At this time, he was, what, three? And she put a plate of cookies out, and she turned a video on. She was recording this, and she said, Caleb, you can have a cookie when I get back, but do not eat a cookie. Now, how do you think this went? 
how do, you th- how do you think this went? She said, you can have a cookie as soon as I get back, but you cannot have one before. Wait till I get back. All right, how many of you say on that? How many of you would say with the raising of your hand, he ate the cookie? Okay, how many over here would say, he's a good boy. He did not eat the cookie. Okay, over here, you that said he ate the cookie, you have little faith. <laughs> he did not eat the cookie. He was given the right conditions, and he passed the test. He was given the right conditions, and he passed the test. You see, a thief is not just one who would steal, but one who would one who steals, but it's one who would steal given the right conditions. And honestly, there are people given the right conditions that will walk away from God. What you see on the surface is not always what you get. White-collar crimes are a really great example of this upstanding, law-abiding citizens on the surface, and all of a sudden they just ruined somebody's retirement because they uh, stole millions and millions of dollars. Everything's not what it appears on the surface. How deep is our devotion to Jesus tonight? What I'm trying to say is we need to have a deep devotion to Jesus that goes beyond the superficial, that goes beyond just our, our culture, that we have here. How many of you have had an awesome year in small group? A little delay, that's okay though. <laughs> it's, been, it's the end of the year, I give you, it's okay. God's done amazing things, hasn't he? Yeah. He's given you a family, he's saved you, he's brought you from the kingdom of darkness into light, he's given you a family and a support system. You probably know all the Chi Alpha language, don't you? What is love? Okay, what God does in you, okay, you know it, you've done it, you could pass the test, but given the right conditions, will you walk with God? And why do I say this? I'm not trying to be severe, I'm just saying this because summer's coming. Some of you are going to go home. Some of you are going to go far away and you're going to be separated from this and you're going to be alone and you're going to be given the right conditions. Will you walk with God? And here's the thing. I believe you can and I believe you will, but you need to be aware and we need to make sure that our devotion to Jesus is deep and wide, that it's not just a superficial devotion, but it is a real deep devotion. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be polished, but it's got to be real. It's got to be real, and it's got to be deep, and we need to dig deep into Jesus. Because given the right conditions, some people will walk away. But if we have a real devotion, if we have, well, that kind of works, doesn't it? If we have a real devotional life, we have real friendships, and we have real responsibilities, we can walk with God. We can do this. And so you don't need to isolate yourself. Summer's coming. You need to stay in contact. You need to stay here, get a job. (laughs) Don't just go back home and sleep all day and let your mom do your laundry again. Get a job and work and have some responsibilities. Stay in fellowship. If you go back home, find a church, be in fellowship, stay in contact with your small group. You guys need to make a WhatsApp group. What is it with Americans? They don't use WhatsApp. You guys are crazy. You like these group texts? Those are, te- those are demonic. 
They're terrible. Not really. Okay, I'm just joking. They're terrible. Get yourself a WhatsApp group. Amen. <laughs> Stay in contact. Stay in fellowship. Stay in real devotion to Jesus. Don't let your devotion be a superficial devotion. Don't let, I'm not, like I said, I'm not calling you Judas. I love you. Okay, but I'm saying if we don't watch ourselves, if we don't take care of our souls, if we don't stay in fellowship, if we don't make sure that we have a deeper root in Jesus, we could betray the Son of God. We could walk away. What seems like a ludicrous thing to do that would never happen, I will never walk away from Jesus. I got 100 Facebook friends that say different, and they were here. And so I want you to understand. I'm trying to make you laugh in the midst of this because I know I'm being a bit harsh here. But I'm trying to get you to understand. The devil's after your mind. He's after your soul. So make sure. You know, if the thief is not just one who steals, but would steal, given the right conditions, would, would steal, how about we turn around and say a Christian is one who walks with God, not just in the right conditions, but in adverse situations. May our devotion to Jesus be deeper than the surface level devotion of Judas. What is Jesus worth to you? What is Jesus worth to you? I'm gonna go ahead and ask the worship team if they can start making their way up here. Here's the thing. What was the big idea? What was the big question tonight? A little bit louder and clearer. Okay, what is, yeah, exactly, you guys nailed it, you passed the test. You're excellent Christians. No, I'm just kidding. Well, you are, I don't know. What is Jesus worth to you? But here's the thing. Some of you were starting to feel a little guilty and say, <laughs> my devotion's not what it should be. I'm a terrible Christian. I'm just going to quit. And that's not the point. Because you're putting your eyes on yourself. The point is not this. Here's the big twist, okay? Here's the big twist at the end. The real question tonight is not how much you value Jesus. It's how much does Jesus value you? If you will truly understand this point, you will begin to understand how much he is worth. Two days before he went to the cross, two days before he, as he sat there, sweating under the tension and the, and the anticipation of going and having his hands and his, and his feet nailed to the cross and, having, and giving his life out for the sin of the world. Two days before that, he watched these varying levels of devotion from the woman and the disciples and Judas. Two days later, he laid his life down for them all. For Simon the leper who had healed, he laid his life down. For the woman who, who, who poured out her extravagant devotion, he laid his life down. Now for those slacker disciples, 
He didn't. No, he laid his life down for them. Oh, the Judas. No, he laid his life down for him, the betrayer. The one that betrayed him with a kiss and sold his, sold his own soul and sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Jesus laid his life on the cross for him. When you understand what the cross means, when you understand what we just celebrated, that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, when you see how much he values you, when you see how much he has loved you and how patient he is, when you see how much he has forgiven you of, you will begin to understand what he is worth. When you see how much he values you, you will see how much you should value him. The thing, if you, if you go to Luke 747, it says, I tell you her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much. For he who has been forgiven little loves little. That's what Jesus said in Luke in the other account of this, of this story. She had been forgiven much, so she loved much. When you understand the depth of our sin, when you understand that Jesus died for every act, every cruel act, every cruel motive, when you understand that he laid his life down on the cross so that you and I could be reconciled to the Father, that you and I could become children of God, when you realize that and you realize how much we have been forgiven of, it should help us understand what his worth is. Great devotion is birthed out of great forgiveness. And when you understand how much Jesus has given and how much he values you, it will help you to value him. When we realize how much we've been forgiven, how much we are loved by God, our devotion will begin to reflect that. So I'm gonna ask you to stand this evening. My heart tonight is that You wouldn't start saying, you wouldn't start having a pity party and saying, I'm such a terrible Christian. Because then, you're, like I said, you're just looking at yourself. But my heart tonight is that we would look to him, the author and perfecter of the faith, who the joy, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, where do you hear joy and cross in the same sentence? Only in Jesus. It was a joy that was set before him. We talked about this tension and this excitement he must have felt. And I don't think he was excited about getting nailed to the cross, but there was this joy in the midst of the tension. That's what the book of Hebrews says, Hebrews 12. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy that he was set before him was you was your neighbor, was the one sitting next to you, was this every soul on Sam Houston State University. The joy that was set before him was the 300 million people in my part of the world that need Jesus. The joy that was set before him was people all across the world lost without him. And if you understand that, that's a God worth giving your life to. That's a God worth giving your devotion to. And so we're gonna enter into a time of worship I'm going to invite you guys to pray.
Step out into the aisle. Make an altar. Make an altar somewhere. Find a place to get with God. Come down to the front. Get your devotion right with God. Don't come down here and look. Look at yourself. Don't come down here and say, I want look to Jesus. Get right with Jesus. If you sin, repent. Make confess it. Make it right. If you sin against someone else, go and confess it. If you've sinned against him, confess to him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Get the devotion right to him tonight. Because I believe, given any conditions, disciples out of Sam Houston State will walk with Jesus. Any conditions. Because our devotion is lavish and real. Jesus, would you please help us tonight make things right before you. God, help us. Help us to, to look to you right now and pour out on you, the one who gave his life on the cross. Pour our lives out to you with great devotion. Not because of us, not because of our merit, but because of you. You are deserving of our lives. You're deserving of my future. You're deserving of my plans. You're deserving of everything. I give my life to you. I devote my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have a time of prayer. Come. Come down. Pray. Make an altar. Come on down. There's something about stepping out and letting Jesus touch you. We'll, we'll, we'll come around. We'll pray with you. Let's pray. Let's worship Jesus.